Well, once again, uh, good morning, and for those of you watching and listening uh, live, well, good morning to you. If you're watching or listening to this later on, well, good afternoon, good evening, um, wherever you may be. I want to thank you for taking the time to check us out on YouTube Live or Facebook Live. Um, hopefully, these streams will come out clear. If not, um, usually by tomorrow or Tuesday, I should have um, an edited version um, of this message out on our website. And speaking of our website, you can also get all our information about our church and what's going on, what we're doing, who we are, and our COVID guidelines. Um, if you want to, you know, if the Lord's put it in your heart to give, we have a PayPal link there as well. Um, all the information you may want about our church is there. Now, if it isn't there, feel free to leave me a message or um, again on Facebook or YouTube. You can also email me and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. But uh, once again, I sincerely want to thank you for, for being with us here this morning. And I hope that by today's message, by, by the end of today's message, you will have been blessed. And maybe some of you will have been born again. Here in this chapter in Luke, in Luke chapter 22, Luke will be telling us about some of the things that happened before his arrest, as well as some final conversations he had with his disciples. As we go through this chapter, it's important to understand that none of these things were mere coincidences or accidents, but rather divine appointments. Appointments that had been determined by the Father and written centuries ago in the Old Testament scriptures. Well, in the passages we'll be covering today, we're going to start seeing a few of those divine appointments as they start to unfold. Now, let me also mention that in spite of the fact that he was about to go through some of the worst realities of life, our Lord remained courageous and was completely set on ensuring that the purpose and will of the Father was fulfilled, exemplifying for us that no matter what tomorrow brings, we must courageously accept and execute the appointments that God has given us today. So before we get into God's word, let's ask him to speak to us this morning. Lord, um, again, a great time of worship and it is well with our souls, Lord, in spite of the circumstances that maybe we're going through, Lord. Um, it is always well when we're with you, when you're in us. So now as we open up your word, we ask that you speak to us powerfully. Speak to those that are out there online listening or watching, that you speak to them powerfully as well. May your word go out there, um, maybe implanted deep within the hearts and minds of people. May they have eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say. Or reveal to us truths that maybe haven't, we haven't discovered yet or we haven't been, haven't been understood yet, Lord, by us. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 1. And the Word of God says, The festival of the unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priest and temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. Well, uh, this chapter begins by Luke telling us how Jesus met the world's injustice head-on at Israel's most holy moment, the Passover celebration. For those who may not know, Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles were the three most important feasts on the Jewish calendar. And all Jewish men were expected to go to Jerusalem, to be in Jerusalem each year to celebrate it. The Feast of the Passover commemorated the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And it was a time of both remembering and rejoicing. It was held on the 14th of the month of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish year. After that, for the next seven days, from the 15th of the month to the 21st, were known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Luke's Jewish readers would have been aware of the connection between the two events, but he mentions both in verse 1 for the purposes of his Gentile readers. Now, another important factor here that is that due to thousands of pilgrims being in and around Jerusalem at that time, the Roman authorities were hypervigilant for uprisings, for rebellions, for riots. And this may help explain why King Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, were in Jerusalem instead of being in Tiberias and Caesarea, respectively. Luke then reiterates in verse 2 that what he had mentioned before in chapter 19, verses 47 and 48, the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death. Until this point, Jesus had carried out his entire ministry under the watchful, death-planning eyes of the Jewish religious leaders. Well, that plan was about to unfold. Still, though, there was one thing that was preventing it from being carried out. Those religious leaders were afraid of the people. It was at this juncture in the gospel that an old enemy re-enters the picture. If you remember, back in chapter 4, verse 13, it says that the devil departed 
from him for a time. And this was after he had, the devil had tried to tempt Jesus there in the wilderness. Well, here we see that that time had arrived. You see, although the, the devil couldn't lure Jesus to sin by tempting him, he was able to prevail over Judas. However, this time it wasn't done through temptation. Verse 3 actually says that Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, controlling his every thought and actions. And once again, if you were to look back in Luke chapter 6, verse 16, Luke had already, had already warned us that uh, Judas would become a traitor. Well, exactly what happens here. A dissatisfied disciple met a devilish tempter and agreed to hand over his Lord. But what made this act even more unfathomable and heinous was that it wasn't just an unknown disciple, someone from the thousands that were following him. It was someone who was numbered among the twelve. Judas Iscariot was in the circle of Jesus' closest companions. Think about it. He walked and talked with God. And he personally heard the words of truth and life. Yet, despite the fellowship he had with the Lord, his actions revealed that his trust in Jesus was solely based on his own expectations of a Savior. So when those expectations weren't met, weren't met, his disappointment led to discontentment, which led him to be open for the devil to enter him. Now, sadly, there are many people today who were once in fellowship with Jesus, but have walked away from him and back into the world for those very same reasons. Now, I need to be clear here. I need to make sure I, you understand that I'm not saying that Christians who have backslidden are now possessed by the devil. Judas here was an exception. There was a plan and purpose in all that. But I can tell you this. Those who have chosen to live like the world are certainly being influenced by the ruler of this world. So, my friends, if you want to avoid falling into this trap, I want to offer just a couple of suggestions. First, I suggest you let go of what you expect Jesus to be or what you expect from him and simply allow him to show you who he truly is. Does that make sense? Too many people are coming to the Lord with certain expectations. Oh, yeah, you know, that preacher on television told me that if I uh, came to the Lord, then I would, or if I started giving all kinds of money to the church, that, man, I'm going to get all that stuff in return. Or my life is going to be wonderful and great, and 
And maybe at, at a certain point, I'm going to be sinless. Again, stop expecting and just allow him to show you who he truly is. Secondly, if you're in a, if right now, at this very moment, you're in a place of discouragement and disappointment, I strongly suggest going straight to Jesus through prayer and his word and allow him to clarify for you any confusions and misunderstandings. He wants us to do that. And he told us so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I truly believe that by doing these two things, every believer will keep themselves from straying from the narrow path that the Savior has set up, has set for us. Again, our Lord said this in, cha in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, another thing going on here that we need to be aware about is that the battle taking place is now at a higher plane. No longer is this simply a human plot against a leader who threatened their power and possessions and positions. Now a battle was ensuing was ensuing between the Son of God and the ultimate evil power. This ought to show us that Jesus' passion was more than just an example of how corrupt, how a corrupt, unjust human system targeted an innocent man. In reality, it was a display of the ultimate battle between the spiritual forces of good and evil, Satan and God. So as we go through the rest of these, this gospel, the next the rest of chapter 22, 23, and 24, it's important that you read those chapters with that in mind, through that perspective. Now, returning back to our passage, Luke goes on to tell us in verse 4 that Judas held a secret meeting with the two groups that had, that had to be involved for Jesus to be arrested. The chief priests controlled the temple area where Jesus had been coming to teach. And the temple police were the ones who had the authority, with the authority, to make the arrest. So they plotted a strategy to catch Jesus when the people couldn't interfere with his arrest, while at the same time making sure or preventing a public uprising. Once that plan was formalized, verse 5 says that they were glad and agreed to give him silver, which we later discovered to be 30 pieces of silver. Well, Judas accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity 
to betray him to them when the crowd wasn't present. Again, Luke's, Luke makes sure that we see the word betray so that there isn't any doubt in anyone's mind, any confusion about what he did. What Luke wants us to understand here is that the entire arrest procedure was set into motion not by an unjust or unfair legal system, but by the unfair and unjust betrayal of a friend for 30 pieces of silver. See, it was unfair because Judas had nothing to accuse Jesus of. And it was unjust because he, he betrayed him secretly and deceptively. This was a friend who used to believe, trust, and confide in God's Son. But sadly, he gave up on that friendship. He was the one who unfriended Jesus when he allowed the devil to enter him. Tragically, it all began with the leaven in his life, which grew quietly and secretly until it produced malice and wickedness. So you see, when you cooperate with Satan, you will pay dearly. And like Judas, it may end up destroying you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our Lord in John 8:44 that Satan is a liar and a murderer. So don't believe anything he tries to tell you. Don't give him any opportunity to produce in you what he perfectly produced in Judas. James 4:7 Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That must have been just hard on Jesus, someone that he spent over three years with, out in the field, traveling, eating with, talking with, crying with. Just again, Judas was going out there. Judas was also commissioned to, to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And he saw... God's power work, but can he had something else in mind? Betrayal is, is, is hard, it's difficult. For those of you who've experienced it, I can relate, I understand. And if no one's ever told you yet, I'm sorry that you've been through that. And if you're still in pain, if it still hurts, if you're still angry, Come to Jesus. Let him heal your heart. Let him give you the comfort that you're looking for. And then forgive that person. Truly forgive that person in your heart, no matter what they did, no matter how bad that betrayal is. Don't let unforgiveness be stored up in your heart. Again, like like Judas, like that little leaven It'll start to permeate. It'll start to get, get bigger and bigger. And 
again, it produced, eventually it produced malice and wickedness. So come to the Lord. If, if it's hard right now to forgive, come to the Lord and allow him to give you the strength to do that. Now, as we move forward to the next section, Luke transitions to tell us about the Passover preparations and the Lord's last earthly supper with his disciples. So, because this is a, a long chapter, it might take us a couple weeks to, to cover it. So, um, I don't want to rush through it. So let's go back to God's word and pick up in verse 7, Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you. From now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look. The hand of one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to the man, to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be, who it was going to be. Our Lord Jesus is now fully aware that time is short and it wouldn't be long before he'd be arrested, put on trial, and killed. Yet, in spite of that fact, was still more that he wanted to say and to teach his disciples. So he decided the best way to do that was by spending one final evening in fellowship with his friends and breaking bread with them. But first, the preparations for that time had to be made. Once again, Luke's, Luke tells us in verse 7 that the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
as I mentioned earlier, this would have been the 14th day of the month of Nisan. Now, prior to that, on the 10th, each family had to determine how many would eat, how much lamb was needed, and how the lamb would be slaughtered. Then on the 14th, between 2.30 p.m. and 5.30 p.m., they would slaughter the lambs in the temple court afterwards at sundown, which would now be the 15th of Nisan. The meal would commence in a home or in an agreed-upon indoor location. Additionally, Luke's note about the sacrifice of the Passover lamb would have been significant for, the, for readers who were, who were aware that Jesus himself is our Passover. So sometime that day, the Lord sent Peter and John into Jerusalem to make preparations for them to celebrate the Passover meal together. However, to show them how of, of his complete knowledge of all things, he gave them specific instructions on what to look for and what to do. And yes, what to say. He first mentions that once inside the city, a man carrying a water jug would meet them. At that, pl at that place and in that time, this would have been unusual since it was ordinarily the women who carried the jugs of water, not the men. So if you were there, that's what the scene would look like, just a bunch of women carrying jugs of water on their head or on their, sh on their shoulders or just carrying it around their arms. It was the women who carried these jugs of water. So it would have been strange for them to see a man actually carrying it. Well, upon seeing that, seeing that man, they were then instructed to follow him into the house he enters and inform him teachers need to, to for a place to celebrate the Passover. Now, what would have stood out here was that the homeowner was expected to know who the teacher was and be willing for his house to be used for this purpose. Jesus goes on to tell them that they'd be shown a large furnished room upstairs where they were to prepare everything. Notice though, that Jesus was only requesting a guest room, but the owner offered them a large room instead. So now let me sh share with you what these instructions can show us about Jesus. There will be times when he will ask you to do something, the Lord that is, ask you to do something that may not always make sense, but he always has a purpose behind it. However, your trust in him will be known by your willingness to obey what he asks you to do. Oswald Chambers wrote, Faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Now, this wasn't in my notes here, but I wanted to also mention this, that 
it's important for you to know that the Lord will never ask you to do something that's contradictory to His Word. If you feel like the Lord is telling you, you know what, I'm supposed to uh, go to so-and-so's house and and rob their house because what they have belongs, it should be mine, or or hurt someone, or whatever it may be. If it's contradictory to what His Word says, then it doesn't come from Him. Remember, we're also told in God's Word to test the spirits. Because not every spirit comes from the Lord. So be wise, be have discernment. It's important for you to know God's Word. And if you have questions, if you have doubts, talk to someone who maybe be, will maybe have a little bit more knowledge about the Word of God. Secondly, Jesus instructs Jesus' instructions show us that He'll only ask you for what He needs from you. But it honors Him when you give Him the best of what you have. Now, this is one of the principles that we covered with the widow's two copper coins. And it also reminds me of a story that we covered at the end of Luke chapter 7. There, a woman who John chapter 12 tells us was Mary of Bethany, loved Jesus so much that she looked for the one gift she could give that would be the most appropriate expression of her devotion. She had been phenomenally forgiven, so she wanted to give greatly. As she went through her possessions, she looked for something that would represent her relationship with the Redeemer. And then she saw it. An alabaster jar of expensive perfume, which was worth almost a year's salary for a common working person. She went to Jesus with the jar, broke it, and spilled out the, fr the fragrant fluid on his feet. The whole house was permeated with perfume, and the aroma wafted up to God in recognition of his weightiness. So my question to you is this. Are you giving God the best of your possessions, your time, and energy? Does he have the best of your heart and life? Are you giving him the best of you? Not the scraps, not the what's left over, but the best. Well, everything was just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that this particular Passover held inexpressible meaning for Jesus and he had ardently desired it before he was to suffer. So in the safety of that upper room, with his closest friends, he had a final opportunity to prepare his followers 
for the events of the future. There, for the final time, he would give them a symbol to teach them the meaning of who he was and what he had done for them. So that evening he ate his final Passover with his disciples, knowing they would not share such a meal again together until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Or at the marriage feast of the Lamb mentioned in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, where their redemption would be complete. The Passover ritual began with a cup of wine, which was blessed with thanksgiving for the meaning of the day. Jesus also took a cup of wine and blessed it. Often a host would give his cup as a special honor to the banquet guest. Well, Jesus appears to share his own cup with all the family rather than each drinking from his own cup. This symbolized their unity in facing what lay ahead and looking forward to the final appearance of the kingdom of God. So this particular Passover was to be a time of looking forward to two goals, the cross and the final heavenly banquet banquet in the kingdom. Thus, Jesus once again reminded them that this was to be supper. And he also reassured them that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Well, the last Passover was immediately followed by the Lord's Supper. In verses 19 and 20, the Lord instituted the sacred memorial so that his followers down through the centuries would thus remember him in his death. He first gave them bread, a symbol of his body, which would, be, which would shortly be given for them. The cup spoke eloquently of his precious blood, which would be shed on the cross of Calvary. He spoke of it as the cup of the new covenant in his blood, which was poured out for his own. This means that the new covenant, which he made primarily with the nation of Israel, was now sealed and ratified by his blood. No longer would they need to look back to Egypt and Sinai for their redemption. No longer would they need to celebrate a yearly day of atonement. Now they were to look to Jesus and his death on the cross as the sole and sufficient means for their atonement. Furthermore, since Jesus would no longer celebrate the Passover, neither would his followers be obligated to maintain or celebrate the Passover ritual. Now, believers would celebrate the Lord's death by partaking in communion together until he comes again. Now, I just covered a short snippet of what the Passover actually signifies, what it means. There are books a bunch of good books out there that will detail for you what each part of the Passover signifies, what it means. 
And if you want more information, I, I, can, get, I can get you some resources or, um, or, or I can uh, lead you to some, some good books about it. But again, I just covered a small portion because of time. But just to let you know, like many other churches, from time to time, we may participate in a Passover celebration around the month of, of, of Easter. But we do this not because we have to, but because of the various lessons that can be drawn from it. You see, if you've ever been through one, if you've ever been through a Passover meal, you'll know that every aspect of the Passover ritual has important biblical lessons and spiritual applications. Well, in the final three verses that we read, it seems clear that Judas was actually present at the Last Supper. However, John chapter 13, in John chapter 13, it appears quite clear that the betrayer left the room after Jesus had handed, handed the piece of bread dipped in the gravy to him. Since this took place before the institution of the Lord's Supper, many believe that Judas wasn't actually present when the bread and the wine was passed around. So even, even though the, the sufferings and death of the Lord Jesus was determined, Judas's betrayal had been done with the full consent of his will. This is the reason why Jesus said, Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. See, it grieved him. It grieved Jesus to know that his betrayer would stand in judgment and face the wrath of God. No one should be happy about someone going to hell or someone facing the wrath of God. That is the worst thing that you can wish upon a someone wish upon someone or want someone to go through. At this point, John tells us that Judas left the upper room to go to the religious leaders to prepare them for the arrest of Jesus in the garden. Now, Luke then reveals something surprising in verse 23. It appears that the disciples hadn't yet formed a complete fellowship of trust. You see, if they had, they wouldn't have been arguing about which one of them it could be or who was going or who was going to do it. See, deep down inside, they all knew that each of them was capable of betraying Jesus. What's interesting here is that all of the disciples were basically saying here, am I the betrayer? What we're going to see next week is that immediately after saying that, they were next saying, aren't I something? Well, this is what happens to anyone trying to live a performance-oriented faith. If you live by rules and regulations, trying to impress God with your devotion, your ministry, your piety, 
Like the disciples, you'll find yourself staggering between feeling like a betrayer who can't keep your own standards and a superstar when you do keep them for a day or two. So if your own personal walk with Jesus has been like a game of shoots and ladders, it's probably because you're clinging to a performance-based Christianity. Instead, realize that the moment Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished, there's nothing else that can or must be done. Now, before we end with today's service, we'll be applying what we read in verses 19 and 20 by partaking in communion together. But first, I want to mention a couple things about communion that believers and unbelievers need to be aware about. First of all, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, you must realize that there's a threefold aspect to communion. It looks back in faith as it remembers the cross. It looks ahead in hope as it waits for the, for the day we will eat with the Lord in the kingdom. And thirdly, it looks ahead in love as we see Christians all around the globe and down the tunnel of history eating of the same loaf and drinking the same cup. So yes, we may have disagreements about the end times, the work of the Spirit, or even all points of the doctrine, but we will find unity at the Lord's table, at the foot of the cross. Of communion, Jesus didn't say, teach it. He didn't say, think about it. He didn't say, try to fit it in. He said, do this. So that's what we'll be doing in a bit. But it's important to remember that your heart must first be right with the Lord before you partake. And I'll give you all an opportunity to do that before we do. The second thing we must remember about communion is that it's meant for believers and that it's meant to be taken by believers. So if anyone hasn't been born again, if anybody hasn't given their life to the Lord, if anyone hasn't, doesn't believe in him, truly believe in him and trust in him, then it's important, it's necessary that you step back, that you just stand by whenever communion is being passed around or being is, is being done at the, at the church, in the church here and wherever, whatever church you're at. However, if you would like to take part in communion, all you have to do is become a born-again believer. So, 
if you're ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ. I'd like to invite you to the cross to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. This invitation is extended, is meant also for those of you watching and listening that have never accepted Jesus. Yeah, you may not be here with us to partake in communion. That doesn't mean you can't accept Christ as your Lord. It doesn't mean you can't open up the doors to your heart and allow Him to come in. It doesn't mean you can't commit yourself to Him. You can do that today. You can do that right now. So that the next time you are in church and communion is passed around, you can partake gladly and as a member of the family, of the family of God. So again, if that's what you want to do, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to be born again, if you're safely able to, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and pray this with a sincere heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. Now, if you prayed that, I want you to do two things. I want you to contact us so that we can help guide you in your next steps of your new journey with Christ. And the other thing I want you to do is to make a public confession of your new faith by telling someone you know what Jesus just did for you. Jesus just saved you. Not shaved you, saved you. Know this, that there's something going on in heaven right now and your new life, it's, you're going to go through mountains and valleys and deserts and... and you know, through meadows and, and there will be springs of water and there will be dry patches of, of, of dirt. But through it all, Jesus will be with you. He will hold you up and give you the strength to keep walking. Just don't lose sight. Keep your eyes focused on him. Again, don't have any expectation. Just get deep into the word and allow him to show you who he truly is. So do those two things. Just call us, contact us, email us, send us a message, and then let somebody know right away. Maybe someone that you know has been praying for you, that you're now saved. What we're going to do next is that we'll be in a minute, we're gonna, we'll 
soon we'll be ending the live stream so that those of us that are here can celebrate communion together as a church body. But I want to thank you for watching and listening. And Lord willing, we'll see you again next week. So may you have a blessed upcoming week. May you be go out there and be the salt and light of your homes, your communities. And may the gospel be preached through your words and actions. See you next week. Bye.